Welcome to Line It Up with Roll-On Corporation. Welcome to Line It Up, a Roll-On podcast. I'm your host, James Kent. The cost of premature bearing failures can cost more than just the price of the bearing. Delays in the manufacturing process due to a premature bearing failure could prove catastrophic to product timelines and wind up costing a manufacturer thousands of dollars. Here to provide some tips and best practices for keeping bearing failures down to a minimum are my guests, Mark Cohn and Forrester Lowry. Mark is a regional manager at Roll-On, and he brings with him 20 years of automation experience and experience with bearing failures in linear actuators. And Forrester is a territory manager at Roll-On, covering the Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, and New Mexico region. He also brings more than 20 years of experience in the automation industry. Welcome aboard, Mark and Forrester. Let's line it up and talk bearings. How are you guys today? Fantastic. Thanks. Fine. How are you today? Super. Okay. Uh, Forrester and Mark, I mentioned you both have 20 plus years of automation experience, which is about 20 plus years more than I have. So I'm glad you're here to answer questions and help me unpack this topic. Why don't you provide me with a quick rundown of some of your experiences with bearing failures? All right. Well, you know, like I said, I've been working in the industry for 20 years and, uh, there are various industries out there, food and packaging, uh, gantry robots, uh, machine tool, paint applications, etc. And uh, I've seen failures in each industry uh, in a variety of machines. Failures due to uh, contamination, misalignment, corrosion or oxidation, uh, heat, paint overspray, just about everything you can think of. I've seen uh, bearing failures due to uh, food spices being, uh, you know, <laughs> causing be- bearings to fail prematurely. So I've seen just about a little bit of everything regarding bear- bearing failure. Right. And, and some of the things that uh, that I've seen are due to things that people aren't uh, maybe as familiar with, like, like Forrester mentioned, all the, the top things are heat and uh, alignment and contamination, but other things like uh, just misapplying the product right out of the gate is uh, something, unfortunately, I see a lot of where people didn't properly look into the details of the application and not just the the loads and and such, but also things that maybe they don't think about like e-stops and crashes and jams in a machine, like a packaging machinery notorious for jamming up the cardboard packaging, what have you, getting in the machine and jamming up. And if you haven't considered that when you've sized up your bearing, well, it's likely going to, you know, fail prematurely. So why do bearings fail? You know, is it is it because of these types of errors and accidents? Or maybe perhaps a better question might be, is there a life expectancy for bearings? Or do different types of bearings in different settings have longer, shorter productivity lifespans? Well, each bearing uh, has a, uh, you can calculate a theoretical life in a ideal uh, application or situation or environment, but different bearings are made for different applications. So in one particular application, you may select one bearing and a different application, you would select a different bearing. And your selection has a lot to do with how long the bearing could theoretically last. Bearings usually have to be uh, maintained to some degree uh, during the lifetime of the machine. So there's really a lot of that goes into selecting the proper bearing for the application. There's a lot of various factors. Yeah, for sure. It's um, 
it's a combination of 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 all of that. If you take the, a good bearing and putting in the wrong application, it's no longer going to be a good bearing, right? So yes, yeah. and that's something that we have a lot of experience with, you know, here at Rollon, and you it, you learn that through time and experience that. You have roller type bearings, you have ball type bearings, you have cylindrical bearings. There's a lot of different types. And like Forrester said, each one has its place in the automation world. And then the precision level of the application is important. And so not just the loads and moments and things, but the environment, life cycle, there's a lot of things to consider to get it right. Yeah, I think we're going to get into, you know, some of the mistakes that can be made that can cause an early failure of a bearing. But let's just say, for instance, everyone's doing it right. You mentioned, Forrester, uh, maintenance. So are, are there ways to avoid bearing failures or at the very least extend their lifespans? What do you recommend? Well, assuming you've selected a bearing and it's installed on a machine, the best thing you can do is to have a proper maintenance schedule or program. You know, lubrication uh, intervals need to be calculated. And uh, also, it's uh, overlooked sometimes, but the correct lubrication. In other words, uh, Mm. you could use the incorrect oil or grease on a bearing that Mm. would uh, prematurely destroy the bearing. So, For most uh, linear type bearings, lithium-based grease is usually used, whereas uh, graphite or amale-based grease could quickly destroy a bearing. So it could be something as simple as uh, lubrication selection. Again, having a uh, proper maintenance schedule and also um, sometimes protecting the bearing, uh, shielding it uh, sometimes uh, helps quite a bit, especially in an application where there's a high level of contamination such as dust or graphite or any type of uh, small uh, dusty particulate is uh, especially dangerous to a bearing. Right, right. So like in our actuators, we have some of our actuators that are specifically designed to have uh, a labyrinth seal that bites into the extrusion, for example, to really keep all that stuff Mm -hmm. away from the bearing. So selecting the proper sealing of of a linear actuator, for instance, can help increase the life of the linear bearing that's in that actuator. What types of consequences happen when a bearing fails? Well, when a bearing fails, the first person to complain about it is probably the end customer uh, because they're losing production time. Mm. So, you know, if you need to uh, fill 300,000 ketchup containers in an eight-hour day, then uh, that totals up to quite a bit of a, a cost or lost revenue. And then additional cost, in addition to just loss of revenue, is uh, you're looking at repair cost and you're looking at cost at cost of uh, goodwill between the end customer and the manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, there's also the cost of replacement parts. To circle back around, you know, uh, selection of the right bearing for the application is really critical. That is where you can avoid a lot of the cost associated with the bearing failure. Yeah, because people think about the parts, right? They think, oh, well, if a bearing fails and the bearing's $50, right. I'm out 50 bucks. Okay, so what? Well, now, right, it's downtime for these manufacturers can be literally in the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars per hour with a machine down. 
And typically, you don't just replace the linear bearing is like the, it's 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 an integral part of the machinery. It's buried in. It's like the skeleton. So it's like breaking a bone in your body. You don't just easily replace it. It takes time. And that time costs lots, you know, thousands of thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So when you look at the and, and then you, you, you were talking about goodwill, Forrester, I mean, yeah, if a machine builder ruins its reputation in the marketplace because it's having a lot of failures of their machinery, that could literally cost millions of dollars without exaggeration, right? If you're losing business because of because of a, a poor uh, machine re- reliability. And the cost of uh, stocking spare parts, you know, having parts in inventory you're not using because you have a consistent failure rate of a bearing in a particular machine. That's also an issue. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Well, I definitely think that we've all uh, learned a recent lesson in how time is money when a, uh, you know, container ship uh, lodges itself in the Suez Canal and it blocks everything up and that's money just going out the window by the minute. So it would be great (laughs) if the two of you had any examples to share of an instance where someone used an improperly sized actuator, which caused a premature bearing failure. Does anything come to mind? Yeah, I mean, I have a story. I could jump in here, Forrester, on the actuator side of life. I had a customer who had their own Suez Canal crisis <laughs> yeah, where they had uh, a brand new piece of machinery that they were developing. And uh, this is a, this was in the uh, tortilla manufacturing. Uh, so it's a tortilla press. And this, uh, this machinery is quite expensive, believe it or not, <laughs> to uh, manufacture corn tortillas. Is quite a, it's uh, quite a process. They spent millions and millions of dollars, of course, in R&D designing a new machine, and they're anxious to get it to market as fast as possible. And to do that, they're going to an exhibition. And so it was critical that you hit certain deadlines in order to make it to a trade show or, or exhibition. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, the uh, supplier of the actuator that they chose just didn't ask the right questions, didn't have the uh, proper experience to dig in and really understand the application of the project and they they underbid it i think in an attempt to keep the price as low as possible so they would win the order well they won the order but they ended up not winning the business because in the end of the day the actuator failed the bearings were just undersized they weren't adequate to handle the loads of the application so the manufacturer had to pony up for brand new actuators to give to the machine builder but worse than that the machine builder ended up missing their deadlines to get to exhibition to launch the new product, wow! which, you know, if you're delaying your product launch by a year, you're literally losing millions of dollars. Oh, yeah. There. So, yeah, yeah. It was definitely a Suez Canal crisis for this uh, OEM who, uh, who had pre- just strictly because of premature bearing failure, too. A good example I could think of is a misapplication of a product. Had a customer uh, several years ago that built large uh, gantry robots, primarily for pick and place, uh, and they were moving objects such as automobile tires or buckets of paint, etc. So they would build a large gantry that had a stroke of over 100 feet long in a span or gantry of, uh, you know, 20 foot or so. And uh, they primarily used uh, profiled rail, uh, what we call profiled ball rail, it has, uh, you know, balls inside of the uh, runner blocks. But the problem was um, trying to align their weldments, which were about, I don't know, 12 feet up in the air and uh, 100 100 feet long and 20 feet apart, 
trying to have all of that lined up was a problem using profiled rail. So what they had to do was develop basically a device that would float on top of the runner blocks. And uh, they never could quite remove the misalignment, even with that additional part that they had to uh, make themselves. And so eventually their reputation failed and uh, they lost a lot of business and um, due to, you know, bearing failures due to misalignment. Well, they probably didn't even need that precision of a bearing, I would imagine. They really yeah. didn't need it. No, not if you're stacking automobile tires, you do not need machine tool tolerances. So anyway, uh, their competitor is now actually performing most of the retrofits. <laughs> their reputation for the first customer in the industry has uh, suffered greatly. And of course, you know, we do have a product that probably could have taken, or it would definitely take care of that, but uh, they were just uh, applying the wrong product, although it's a great product, applying the wrong product, you know, to the application. And so that, uh, that really did hurt their business and they have struggled and have been sold several times. And so they, you know, that's just a, a good example of uh, a poor selection up front. Forrester, just a follow-up. Uh, you know, you mentioned that you had a solution. Are, are there alternatives to profile rail? People in the industry can use something else? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, there are different types of linear systems. And uh, when you take a rail and a block or some type of runner and uh, put it on a rail or a guideway, uh, we call that a system. It's basically a system because it's two pieces working together. And so you uh, have profiled rail out in the market, and that can be ball or roller. And then you have a typically what's called round shafting, which is basically a round shaft, either supported or non-supported with a cylindrical type bearing running on it. But then uh, we also have a product uh, that Roll-On manufactures and it's called Compact Rail. And it is definitely a, a very good solution to profiled rail or an alternative to profiled rail in that uh, it, can, it is tol has tolerance to misalignment. Oh. So that eliminates one issue right there. Yeah. Uh, typically with a profiled rail, you have to machine the base of whatever you're mounting the rail to. And machining something that's 100 foot long or something that's 20 foot wide or whatever it is, that's very expensive. And uh, with the compact rail, you can avoid that. And that's due to the tolerance that's built into the product itself. So mm -hmm. if you're not needing machine tool tolerance, accuracy or precision, then the roll-on compact rail is an excellent, excellent alternative. Unfortunately, uh, what I've seen in the past two decades is uh, profile rail has sort of become the go-to product or the default product for many engineers. Uh, they know what it is and they just select it, but they don't maybe think about the cost of the machining, the cost in manufacturing to align it, and then the disassembly and the reassembly at the customer site and having that aligned. And then if bearings do need to be replaced eventually, you have to remove all of that, put it back on, and now the customer has to realign it. Or they have to pay the manufacturer to come out and realign it. Or the manufacturer has to go out and do a warranty realignment. So a lot of cost involved in making the wrong selection. Roll-on compact rail will address many of those issues. And um, it's really effective when you look at the total cost overall, not only for the manufacturer, but also for the end customer. Yeah. And, and of course, and then as that, as that compact rail absorbs that misalignment, it just eliminates that potential for uh, 
premature bearing failure. What happens, unfortunately, is so many people just skip the uh, all the costs that needed to get the other the profile uh, rail aligned, and because they skip that, then it fails prematurely, which adds more costs. So there's costs up front, or there's costs later if, if you don't get it right. And uh, a self-aligning linear guide system like Compact Rail just eliminates all that. You know, we've talked about these cost implications. On that note, when a bearing fails. Typically, especially when we were talking about these, you know, profile rail systems, how long could things get shut down when they're having to take things apart and put things back together again? I mean, because, you know, obviously time down is going to cost them money. And I'm just kind of curious as to how complex a situation can it be to then get the bearing fixed? Well, uh, it could be days or it could be weeks. And Maybe, mm-hmm. in some instances, could be months. Um, it depends on the bearing that was selected to be used and in the replacement, whether there's inventory locally or uh, nationally or internationally. Uh, you're looking at shipping time if it has to come from overseas. It depends on which runner block or which bearing or roller was selected. Uh, you know, did you select something that is uh, not commonly used? Well, then that's probably going to increase your lead time. So it could be significant downtime, depending on which bearing is uh, selected and which one fails. Yeah, and because it's so integral to the machinery, usually it's pretty well embedded in the machinery, and there's just a lot of time that it would take just to even tear apart a machine or put it back together. Well, it sounds like the keys to success here are accurate sizing to avoid such failures and also, you know, considering alternatives to things like profiled rail, doing maintenance. Um, Are there any other recommendations you have for manufacturers and other industries that could run up against the situation of premature bearing failures? During the life of, of a machine, the best possible moment to lower the cost is at the design stage and sure. selecting the right product. I know we've talked about that again, you know, before several times, but cannot reiterate how important that is. Once you design it and put it in there, and once you have a failure, the costs are exponential mm. compared to the cost of at the design stage. And so there are other products out there that are more um, uh, appropriate for the different applications per machine. So just the design stage is critical. And so, right, right. and that's why we have engineering available at Rolon to help uh, customers uh, select the proper components or proper systems to try to control the cost, not only in manufacturing, but the cost, the total cost for the customer. So. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, do clients reach out to you to consult um, when they're in that design phase to say, you know what, we want to make sure this runs smoothly. What, 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 do, you, what do you recommend? Yeah. And, and I, I would say that I strongly recommend you look at a company that's got a lot of different options to start with. There's several companies out there that they're solely focused on sort of one type of linear bearing. And then what tends to happen is it's just a natural thing. They want to apply that type of linear bearing to all applications as possible. And it's not always appropriate for all applications like Mm. we talked about. So if you pick a manufacturer of linear bearings that has lots of different choices, that manufacturer is going to pick the right one. So we talked about maintenance and grease. For instance, we've got a linear guy that doesn't even need any grease. So there you go. So <laughs> having we have, yeah. So we have lots of different choices. We have roller wheel, ball bearing, greaseless, grease type, uh, metal, plastic. Lots of different types of solutions. And then our engineers 
and and our whole team of everybody at Rollon is experienced enough to know where to apply them so that you ha- you have the most success with the product, right? So that's what it's all about: understanding all the parameters and then applying the right product in the right way. So I would recommend people select a company that's got a lot of different options and linear guides, and then has the application engineers available as a resource to then pick the right solution and apply it in the right way to do the proper sizing and calculations and engineering that should be done up front to select a solid solution. It's kind of enticing these days, you know, for to go to a, a slick website, for instance, and to do everything online, which I do too. I mean, it's just natural. We all like it and enjoy it. But um, it doesn't replace a live engineer with years and years of experience. It's, it's hard to get that all wrapped up just into a website. So I would encourage people to contact, work with companies with lots of different solutions and who have live engineers available to help do product selection and sizing. That's good feedback. Um, hey, Forrester and Mark, before we go, is there anything else about bearings and potential bearing failures we haven't covered that we should? Well, there is one thing I, I would like to say about our engineering resources. You know, Roll-On, we offer uh, engineering assistance. And, you know, we do that to help the customer, you know, select the right product and use our years of experience. But we do that because we want the customer to be happy with the product that they may purchase from us. And we want it to work. And it's to our advantage and to their customer's advantage to uh, utilize those resources and that experience as opposed to, uh, you know, had as Mark mentioned, uh, just doing everything online. So we have a vast wealth of experience uh, in linear bearings, and hopefully customers would know to uh, take advantage of that. Yeah, I mean, their objective, uh, all of our uh, our whole team and our application engineer's objective is to optimize a solution, which is to meet your requirements. You, Mr. Customer, whether you're an engineer or an end user, to meet all of your application requirements at the lowest possible cost. Mark Cohn, Regional Manager, and Forrester Lowry, Territory Manager at Rollon. Thank you so much for joining me today and providing your insights. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you very, very much. It was terrific, and it was wonderful chatting with you. Thanks for the opportunity, James. Appreciate it. Hey, uh, folks want to learn more about Rollon and the products and solutions and services you provide. Where should they go? Uh, you can check us out on the web at www.rollon.com. Terrific resources there. You can email us at info at rolloncorp.com as well. And um, I might add, uh, check out our YouTube channel because there's some really good training videos there, application videos, some really good content there on our YouTube channel. Very cool. All right. Thanks again, Mark and Forrester. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thanks for tuning in to this episode of Line It Up, a roll-on podcast. We have more great episodes coming your way, so please make sure you hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to your podcasts. And while you're at it, leave us a rating and a comment after each episode. Let us know if there's a particular topic you'd like covered on an upcoming show. Again, we have more great content coming up. But for now, I've been your host, James Kent. Let's talk again soon.